0: Avoiding danger is no safer in the long run than outright exposure. The fearful are caught as often as the bold. Helen Keller. Bending, Not Breaking. Season 7, Episode 9. Beyond the Wild. Welcome to another episode of Bending Not Breaking. I'm Sunshine. I'm Ben. And we are back for another, we are running out of episodes. We're, we're running That's out beautiful. of episodes before we wrap up our final season. Uh, there's so few left, but we've got more to talk about. We've got enough to talk about that I'm excited about what's going to happen, especially especially with today's episode. What? Because we have something special today. Uh, someone special, Ben. Who do we have with us today? I mean, I know
1: I'm special, but you you sunshine. You're great.
0: I'm not talking about you. Oh, yeah. Sorry. You mean our guest. That's yes, correct.
1: Yeah. Our guest is pretty special, too. Let me introduce you all to our guest. Our guest is Alyssa Draffin. Uses she her pronouns and works full time as faculty for the UNC Chapel Hill School of Social Work. And after serving more than a decade in the field, provides direct practice and integrated behavioral health services, all kinds of stuff. She has extensive experience working with individuals and groups living with HIV, post-traumatic stress disorder, chronic medical conditions, and genetic disorders, as well as functional symptoms related to trauma, which you know we like to talk about on this show. And she has most recently worked with children, adolescents, and families experiencing social barriers to care. Alyssa, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. This is really cool.
0: It's cool. I
2: think we're doing a cool thing, aren't we, Sunshine? This is fun.
0: <laughs> cool is never the word that's been used to describe this podcast. Nerdy, uh nerdy, uh, too in-depth. Uh, overthinking. Those have all been terms that I've heard used, but cool. I'll take cool. Yeah. I'll take cool. Absolutely. (laughs) But thank you for joining us and being a part of this. I
2: thought nerdy was the new cool.
0: That's true. Hey, a lot of nerdy things happen. Nerdy is definitely in in the zeitgeist now. So excited to have you on with us as we're talking about, honestly, what has become my favorite media in the Avatar franchise, The Legend of Korra. Um, so thank you for joining us here today. And we are, we're talking about a specific lens of exposure. And so we'll dive into the depths of the episode and the meat of the episode in that discussion. But when you think exposure, what does that even mean?
1: Well, I think sunshine, you're, you're jumping the gun a little bit. We haven't even gotten to know Alyssa, right? Like that's true. We, before we expose everyone,
0: I'm just so excited
1: in the details, we, we got to learn a little bit more like Alyssa, tell us like, just before we get into this, this meat and get into your brain a little bit, tell us about what makes you, you like, what makes you a human being?
2: Ooh, well, I, I want to describe myself as a human being, B E A N. And I will tell you why. <laughs> One of the things that makes me, me is my love of beans. And let me explain. First of all, I was thinking about all of the things um, that connect all of the small entities in my life that connect me and make me me. I love coffee, beans, refried beans, and vanilla bean. So my love of beans makes me me. And that has nothing to do with my professional identity, but everything to do with what makes me.
1: I love it. I think that's great. There's a lot going on there. And I think
0: so much connection that I've never put together in my own life. Now that I have to look back at it, how, how much of my own existence reverts back to beans of some sort.
1: Turns out sunshine's a bean guy.
0: <laughs> bean bags. That's the furniture I can afford. So <laughs> Story of our <laughs> life.
1: Oh man. Okay. So we've learned a little bit about you again, before we kind of dive into our lens, I want to know like What is your relationship for the, for context for the listeners? What is your relationship to the Avatarverse? Like, uh, I know the answer, but I want you to kind of share (laughs) uh, what your exposure to the Avatarverse has been.
2: Yeah, so my exposure is somewhat limited, but I think... um going forward will be very robust. So I have a four and a half year old that through me watching this episode um, with the legend of Korra has discovered his love for Avatar. And um, Ben, you actually recommended to me um, to have him watch the original Avatar, The Last Airbender. And so we are now on um, book one of that series. But other... uh, that um, it's pretty limited, although I did drop my son off at the dojo uh this week, and someone that works there has the tattoo of the bison. Remind me of the bison's name, Appa. and Appa, yes. So I was going to say emu, and I knew that was wrong, but it was a small, like <laughs> a two syllable word, yes. I thought it was so cool. So now that I have a- exposure to. Avatar, the series, I, I have a feeling I'm going to start seeing it everywhere, but I'm excited. I feel more enriched that it's in my life. It's so good. I'm so glad you're getting
1: your child into it. It's so lovely. Oh, oh. we're doing <laughs> great work, Sunshine. We're doing great work.
0: Well, I remember because when it came, it, when it first for the first time in a long time, it finally came out on Netflix, like of April or May of 2020. Um, and so there was a whole resurgence of people who were stuck indoors who had never seen it. Uh, kids who had never seen it. And so it caught a brand new life kind of through 2020 as the, the two shows hit Netflix for the first time. And so I think it's mm-hmm. really cool to see people kind of rediscover the show because I don't, it happens with some shows that are older, but it doesn't happen with all shows. There's not a lot of 2005 shows that are getting yeah. kind of that, like rewatch and people who've seen it for the first time and, and recatching it. So I'm glad that it's kind of had that staying power, um, which has been really cool to see. Yeah.
2: Yes. And I also knew one more thing. Um, I I remember in the early 2000s or whenever the first James Cameron Avatar movie came out that has nothing to do with the show. But I do remember hearing about the controversy of them using that name and me knowing, having some knowledge that there was another show called this that had been there far long before. So I, I like a little controversy. So um, that piques my interest <laughs> as well.
1: That's awesome. So. Now that you have been exposed to the avatar verse, and now, frankly, you're just bought in because who can't be after after exposure to it? Uh, I'd love to hear a couple things. One, you chose this lens that Sunshine got us to earlier of exposure. Whoopsies. No, I think it's it's great. It was great to be exposed to it a little sooner, you know? Mm-hmm. It's a little spoiler nice.
0: Yeah, sure. Nice cover, Ben.
1: <laughs> but you chose this lens <laughs> of exposure... And I'm, I'm curious why, why did you choose this lens and what is it?
2: Yes, so I, I chose this lens because I was really struck by this scene um, where Cora was basically exposed to Zahir. So um, I, I can talk about um, my relationship to exposure, which is in a therapeutic space. So it's ex, uh, exposure therapy. Um, one of the things I was thinking about as I was watching this episode was what I would do if Cora was my client and how I might expose her to the fear where she basically went to the far most intensive experience she could have had. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into that. But my my um, relationship to exposure therapy is um, right now teaching master's students about it at the School of Social Work. but um, basically exposure therapy is, um, a modality, a therapeutic, um, intervention or lens that addresses or adaptation or defining diagnostic characteristic of, let's say using, um, PTSD for an example, um, it, it, addresses avoidance. So, um, one of the defining characteristics of post-traumatic stress disorder is avoiding reminders of the traumatic event. Um, In thinking about um, obsessive compulsive disorder or generalized anxiety disorder, we seek to avoid unpleasant experiences that create anxiety. And so um, that's actually very effective in the short term. We see immediate relief when we avoid unpleasant experiences and especially avoiding traumatic experiences or reminders. But what we've seen and what data shows in the long term is that it actually exacerbates the symptoms um, and the diagnostic profile um, sometimes is met even further. There's more criteria met for the diagnosis because the only connection you have to the traumatic event then is the fear or the absence of reminder. So we don't have opportunities to develop new connections in our brains and opportunities to create pleasant events around that painful stimuli. So exposure therapy kind of creates this, um, the opportunities to have like a bravery ladder or a, a fear hierarchy. Where you slowly step into the space of recreating some of that anxiety around, around the um, event, and able to use some coping skills and interventions on a smaller scale.
1: Yeah, this is a really neat concept, and I, I appreciate you kind of lifting it up and with that that framework, right? Because like at its base definition, like exposure is just like this being exposed to something, being like being put into contact with something, right? So. A, yeah. rele- a revelation of like an identity or a fact or especially one that's like hidden from you. And when I think about it in this, in the way that you framed it, it reminded me of Hillary McBride's work on on trauma. And she talks about a thing called the memory package. And whenever we experience an event that is traumatic, we remember the things that are surrounding that event, right? So what did we smell leading up to it? What did we see? What color, like all of these things contribute to that memory package and everything associated with that package is also associated with the trauma. And so in this case, we have like the color x like pick pick a random color the color blue anytime someone sees or is exposed to the color blue they're reminded of this memory package of the trauma and what i'm hearing you say is that exposure therapy starts to expose you to those pieces of the memory package and starts to recontextualize um, them in a different way so that you don't necessarily associate them just with that trauma. Is, am I thinking about that correctly?
2: Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, so if if we didn't do that, essentially what you're asking folks to do that with exposure therapy is relive this horrific um, traumatizing experience. Um, trauma is often a uh, traumatic experience is often referred to as the death imprint. So you're asking folks to relive death with without any protections when you when you kind of go to the extreme. Uh, and so this idea of so, lower level activation that can help us work through some of that stimuli helps us with the confidence, with the uh, physiological imprint and memory, and then using coping skills to help with some of those smaller activation um, events. So smaller activation events could still be strong enough to cause a full panic attack. You saw Cora sweating profusely in the episode. Um, And so a lot of those uh, uh, physiological symptoms like your heart rate rate increasing, your pupils dilating, all of these things that help us be wired for survival that all kind of ties back into evolution and surviving.
1: Awesome. This is going to be a great conversation.
0: I'm excited, but and you alluded to it a little bit earlier when you said that Cora kind of makes the jump, and this is still kind of prior to us talking full on about the episode. You're like, she makes a jump way further, maybe down the ladder is the term that you used. And so it seems like from, my, from the context of that is like there's kind of a safe way to do exposure, and then there may be like harmful ways to do exposure, and there's probably a balance in that, correct? hmm
2: mm-hmm. exactly.
0: Well, yeah, awesome. so-
2: Exposure, yeah.
0: Please, yeah. Exposure continue. therapy could be
2: super controversial. No, no, it could be controversial. And some of the leading experts in the field of exposure therapy for OCD do things um, in therapy that would be considered very taboo. For example, um, there was an incredible podcast called called Invisibilior, there is, and they talk about um, in one of their episodes about exposure therapy. One of the the therapists actually holds a, uh, allows clients to hold a knife to his throat. Clients that have kind of pervasive obsessive compulsive thoughts about accidentally killing someone. Um, and so that's like the extreme. But there's there is imaginable imaginal exposure where we imagine exposure and kind of take ourselves to a place of um, reimagining the event. And, and actually uh, causing and eliciting a lot of the um, body memories. So that memory package that you were talking about, Ben. Um, and then there's in vivo exposure. There's there's a lot of different types of exposure where we can kind of test the waters and see how troubling and scary is this going to be. Um, so Cora was an example of someone just throwing you into the deep end and saying, well, hopefully you survive, but you might not. Um because a lot of, not surprisingly, people in um, that are tasked to do be really have have a lot of trouble with it when it's beyond their own capacity as a human. The information is just too much. Ooh,
1: man, there's a lot there, and you know I'm really excited too because we're going to be talking about like Cora is going to give us a lot of juicy conversation, but there's also so many other characters that are have different types of exposure too. And I can't wait to talk about those, too. So that means, Sunshine, I'm ready for you to do the recap today.
0: and eh, correct. What, what do you mean? <laughs> it is your turn. You always do this. Uh, and you, it, it seems like that. you might need to be exposed to some more practice of the 30-second recap. Mm, I don't know. Maybe you should expose. Time on the clock. And oh. away we go. All right,
1: so Ryu is leading the Spirit Vine Tour and it goes wrong. And then Team Girl Power investigates and then Kuvira is chopping down some vines and the world leaders debate about Kuvira. And then Korra's is like indignant. You left me out when this guy's here? And then Bolin and Veric alert everybody to Kuvira's plan. And then the Beifong plan starts to happen. And then people forgive Bolin and Janor gets taken by the vines. And then Korra gets- 10 seconds. And then uh, finds the peeps in the spirit pods and then fails to help because Zaheer and Zaheer- Zaheer happens. And then he helps her enter the spirit world and saves the day. And then Beifong's and maybe Bolin had his outfit.
0: Done. Yeah, well done. I thought I did pretty well. Yeah, you're pretty good. Better than normal. So I'll give you that. How are you? You're making progress. We're happy for you. It's taken seven seasons. Yeah, (laughs) we're getting there finally. (laughs) We're getting there. Oh, man. All right. All
1: right. We're going to kick it straight to you, Alyssa. I would love to kind of just invite you in to pick any moment in this episode that you want to talk to as it relates to exposure.
2: Oh, oh my goodness! Okay, so uh, first of all, I think we see Cora avoiding meditating in the spirit in the spirit world. I feel like that there was avoidance because she felt like she couldn't do it. Um, and one of the significant points of the episode for me was when um, she talked about being powerless in the spirit world, and it was Zahir that with an incredible reframe was like, actually, you're most powerful in the spirit, spiritual world, because you survived the poison. And so essentially, um, Cora living with the poison is an active, active resistance for her. It's an ongoing act of resistance by her just surviving, um, living with that poison. So it was incredible to me that that just that powerful reframe from the perpetrator, uh, Zakir was, uh, g- gave her the confidence to basically rescue you and all of the other folks there. Um, and also maybe instill a little bit of confidence in the people in her life that were protecting her. Um, I was, I'm thinking Tenzin and maybe some other people, if I'm saying his name, right. Um, people that, you know, maybe didn't involve her in certain things that she's, she felt, prepared for because of what she'd been through so I really loved the powerful reframe that was simply a shift in perspective that allowed her to do the thing that she was destined to do so that was probably one of my favorites favorite components of the episode
1: yeah this is a really interesting moment for me and I'm very conflicted in many ways about this moment um the idea like I think you said it earlier but so Cora is avoiding this. We've kind of established that there's a little bit of avoidance. Doesn't want to go into the spirit world because when Cora goes into the spirit world or goes into the avatar state, she has this re-traumatization of remembering <laughs> this, this thing that she went through and there's a block in some way, shape or form. And so I really empathize with Cora because on an intellectual level, she's like, ah, I just need to confront Zahir. <laughs> and it's the difference between for me, like knowing what I'm supposed to do and actually following through and doing it with like, oh, mindfulness and meditation and all these things are super helpful. And I don't do them, right? Um, I, I do, but like I, in, I, I know a lot of people that say those things and spout those things and do not. Um, and I still struggle with them, right? Like it's not easy, but. Um, when I think about Cora, she's like, nah, I'm just going to go straight to the source. And on an intellectual level, that makes sense. But on a practical level, that makes me super nervous. I'm like, Cora, whoa, maybe that's not a great idea. But also, I don't want to remove the agency of her being able to make that decision. And I, I, you know, she was counseled against this. Tenzin was like, ah, I don't think so. And then he was like, uh, but okay, I trust you. And like, there was, there was a process that she went through of like seeking counsel from people. And so I'm I'm curious about what that looks like in real life, I guess, when, when people are like, nope, I want to go visit my abuser <laughs> and what that is like for, mm-hmm. I, I'm, does that make sense I don't even know how to frame that as a question but it makes me feel
2: uncomfortable oh totally yeah so um <laughs> so in a in a practical sense if Cora was my client I'd be worried about like a malpractice lawsuit because putting her in front of zakir could cause so much harm um but I also have to understand that there are very um unique characteristics possesses that make her who she is and make her the avatar and so I'm um, thinking about it in that way it helps me kind of understand the need for that um, uh, severity in her agency but um, what I would what I think is to his credit Tenzin knew that Zaheer was contained and so contained in you know chained up or or in, in this like container of whatever prison he was in or wherever he was so that the level of risk was still not where it could be. So maybe that was his way of like mitigating the risk. But I think for Cora, she realized that it wasn't just, um, her own fear. It was the reaction of others around her. She said something like, you know, I can do this to people. She really wanted to like reinstall confidence. So one of the, um, things that we consider when creating a diagnostic profile for post traumatic stress disorder is is this impacting other areas in your life vocationally including or in um including your interpersonal relationships and it seemed like she was unable to do some of her duties and it did impact some of her interpersonal relationships so perhaps for her this was the logical next step like she knew that for her it had to be this exposure to face or fears, essentially um, in order to overcome your fears, you have to face them. That's the whole premise of exposure therapy, how this is done in practice largely depends on the person though.
1: Oof. Yeah. This, I mean, there's just a lot going on. And one of the things I find really interesting about the way that it's presented in this show is its relationship with the spirit world. And I, I find that to be a really compelling Uh, metaphor for our lives too because we know from prior episodes that the spirit world kind of manifests according to the emotional state of the one who is entering the spirit world and Cora's spirit world when she enters it is traumatic Uh, and so what's really interesting is Trauma, when unaddressed and unattended, continues to shape, quote, our personal spirit world, if you will. And what we what we learn in this episode by Korra finding Rava and reconnecting with Rava, which is her avatar spirit, is that trauma separates us from ourselves in a way and it leads to a form of
2: dissociation,
1: right? Like this dissociation in which we can avoid the pain. Therefore, like Cora is avoiding it and avoiding a, a part of herself in a way. And so my question for you, Alyssa, is around exposure to the different parts of us. And I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if there's any, if there's anything around that, that might be worth kind of parsing out. Does that make sense as a question?
2: Yeah, totally. Yeah. So there's a really amazing therapeutic modality called internal family systems. And it's the idea that the self is the large uppercase S, but there's all these little parts of us that, that comprise, comp- comprise the large S. So perhaps for Cora, part of her, her S is the, the spiritual S, the the like uh heroine s her relationship and i don't want to forget the child inside of her that the child that um showed up in episode one that was like you don't have to search anymore because i can do all of these things like that confidence that's like that purity and like who she is a fearlessness um all of those things, all of those parts have to feel protected enough that they can show themselves to each other. So I do believe that if the spiritual part of Cora was, or her, um, the connection to her spiritual self was compromised, which it was, we saw in the episode, that impacts the confidence of all of the other parts. So if we can let part of that step aside so that another part could show up, then that's part of the the premise of the therapy. Um, giving room to the protector in her, the one that's trying to avoid all of these unpleasant events, may have been actually prohibiting some of the, the growth in the spiritual world.
1: I love that you framed it that way too, because it, what it does is it tells me that, and we knew this ahead of time, but there is no one way to go about something that is the right way, right? It requires that we be aware of and integrate multiple systems of um, multiple approaches in order to do something, right? If if you just go in with a understanding of exposure therapy without perhaps an understanding of family systems therapy, then that could lead to pretty problematic experience, right? And, you know, I, I just think about how being exposed to different educational avenues is important in, you know, our, our experiences, right. And being exposed to multiple types and ways of doing is really helpful so that we can accommodate the uniqueness of each individual we, we come in contact with. Right. And I
0: think that's
1: so important.
0: Okay. One of my, one of my questions is, um, how how does one kind of decipher when it is an appropriate time for that exposure? Uh, how do they realize they're ready for it, right? We can't just run into the spirit vines and, and attack it. It's going to hurt us, right? We know that. And so how do we identify those moments where maybe exposure is necessary? Because I think of the moment like Bolin apologizing to Opal. Like that's a little moment of exposure, right? That's a little moment of like, this is going to be I'm scary. Sure I'm, I'm going to admit that I'm wrong. And so like, I'm going to do this thing. How do we kind of work to identify what is going to be beneficial exposure to discomfort versus like harmful exposure to things that we're scared of and where that line is? It's a little moment of yikes is what it is yes
2: sunshine that's a great um, that's a great question and I loved how you said um, you know like running into vines are gonna hurt you absolutely that's that's how we think of these these things like as painful and, and fear inducing stimuli. Um, And I think that's why it's so important to create a fear hierarchy or a bravery ladder. Um, What, where can we step, put our toe into the water, see how that feels, see how fearful we are and see how we can gain confidence in overcoming that, the emotions that come up and just sit and process with what's coming up for us. If we feel like, yeah, this is cool, I could do this, then we can step onto the second step or the third. And over time, we can get to the most fear-inducing. So even in terms of like running a marathon, you don't start by just getting up and going 22 miles. You're going to physically break down your body and you won't be able to finish. You probably start with walking and running for 30 seconds until you get a little bit of confidence there. So it's about creating internal confidence in your ability to do the thing. It's also exposure to the thing on a level that's not crippling. So, um, and then to your question about how do you know when you're ready? I think when it starts to show up in multiple areas of your life that you can't no longer manage in a way that's um, uh, fulfilling to you. So when you feel like you're not living your authentic life when you feel like you're not your your best self, or there's things that are preventing you from becoming who you are supposed to be, um, or even just the version of yourself that you love the most. That's when you're ready. Um, so, I've had a client in the past that loved she she's an extrovert, loved people, but she she developed um, agoraphobia, and so. Over time, through a series of traumas, um, it developed agor- agoraphobia. And the last thing that I would do would be to just, in our first session, take her to Walmart um, and have her be exposed to like, or Target or like the, all of the stimuli and people. What we would do is probably join together, talk about this, and then maybe picture. Or do imaginal exposure, we would create a scenario where she would actually like go into a social outing um, through her imagination and see what comes up. If I noticed she was sweating a lot or she noticed that her heart was racing, we would work on coping skills to create some distress tolerance or de-escalation in the moment. And so we would continue on that path until she was ready to do, perhaps walk to the mailbox or do something that would be more of that low activation
0: because it's, it's fear is an interesting thing to me, right? Because there's, there's fear that can maybe be unproductive. There's that fear that maybe like, it's holding me back from achieving the life that I want. But then there's also recognizing that like fear is a safety measure sometimes, right? Like don't walk into the spirit vines that are going wildly active. Like that could kill you. Um, and so where's, so how do, it's, I guess it's more of the same question, but like further on the scope of the ladder is like, that recognition, I guess you said it was, is really when, if it's keeping you from being the productive human that you feel like you want to be is that line, but how do we recognize just that safety at the other end of the scale like, no, just don't do it because that's going to hurt you.
2: Yeah. That's the really interesting concept that you bring up because essentially what's happening just on a brain level, when we are exposed to a fear-inducing situation, our amygdala in our limbic system kind of goes off. There's that alarm bell that says, hey, danger, danger, spirit vines are coming. Don't go there. Well, the issue with these traumatic events, um, that alarm bell gets jammed. And so while we know logically looking at the spirit vines, like, yeah, this is scary. This could kill me. When we have traumatic events that occur and that alarm bell gets jammed, we get confused on what is actually a realistic threat and what is an imaginal threat. And so it works in in both ways. In one way, we might see everything as a threat and then we're unproductive um, or we're in fear, or we might see nothing as a threat. And therefore we walk into traffic or we walk into the spirit vines. And so that's why I think it's so important to, to have awareness of, um, the benefits of exposure therapy and other therapeutic modalities for trauma. So we can start to recognize kind of these real versus perceived threats. Um, the other thing is, you know, it's, and it's not just wanting to be the best version of ourselves. It's also looking at how this is impacting our lives in, am I losing my job because I can't leave the house? Am I, um, seeing everything as a threat so if i have an argument at work i'm actually my fists are coming up and i'm in my survival response like fight flight or freeze which we know we can't do at work so there it's also this this am i causing areas in my life to crumble because or are areas in my life to crumble because are crumbling because i can't um go on my
0: it is so interesting how all this is uh, like the brain chemistry that you're talking about because as you're talking about this i'm thinking about the council meeting and how the council is trying to decipher, like, whether or not to engage, how to engage, the type of community they want to be, where is the productive, where is not productive, and getting new information by Bolin and Varric kind of running in and acting as the stimuli of, like, this is coming. And so as you're talking, all I'm doing is picturing, like, that's exactly what the council is doing in that scene uh, at the beginning of the scene is almost acting like the, the brain chemistry of Republic City in that one moment
1: well and not just the brain chemistry of republic city i think that's also kind of indicative of how we are as individuals more complex than one right we have we can have internal conversations with ourselves right that are in conflict and contesting one another and i think that's so true it, again when we go back to that that phrasing earlier of like if we have the understanding that trauma can separate us from a part of ourselves then all of a sudden we lose capacity to have that conversation, to have counsel with ourselves or at least a part of ourselves. And we lose out on the potential wisdom that is there, right? I'm really thankful that it's not just Prince Wu making this decision because let me tell y'all, like I think his lack of exposure to the world and the realities of the world as Prince uh, shows in his deliberation with the council, just as Izumi who has the history of the Fire Nation, which is like rife with genocide and problems and not good, that Azumi is able to reflect and has that exposure to be like, I'm not doing this again. And their exposure, lack thereof, drastically impacts how they contribute to the conversation. So mm-hmm. that's going to lead me to a question though. My, my question is exposure alone is not an adequate education is my premise. And I I think that there's so much evidence for that in in the real world, but like being exposed to something does not mean that you're going to come to the same conclusion as someone else upon seeing that thing. And so I, I guess that's leading me to the question of what are the limits of exposure in terms of it's, positive capacity to help us. Does that make sense as a question?
2: Ooh, say more.
0: Yeah. I think for, I think for me, it's like, it's the context, right? So it's not just the exposure, but then it's the the context and the understanding and the processing of that exposure. And so learning the skills to process the exposure Has to come for the healing is the way that I would view that right like I can see something and the narrative I tell myself when processing it can be very wrong or very jumpy to conclusion or like uh, is that what you're kind of getting at Ben and
1: there's actually a really good example that I can use from this from this episode like I love
0: when we do that
1: yeah the so if we go straight back to the beginning of the episode with these tourists who are going through the Republic City Spirit Vines
0: I'm gonna go take a picture of this vine.
1: Yeah, well, it's like tourists in other cultures, when they go to visit another culture and they see the culture, right, that seeing the spirit vines does not necessarily give them more knowledge or understanding. Uh, And what this reminds me of is people who like read a book about something and then think they know everything about it because they read a book about it. Right. So they have exposure to the idea of it, but they have no lived experience around the idea. They don't know how that shows up in different people. And so like, oh, yeah, I've been to the spirit vines. They're like they do all these. like, But like you have no idea. (laughs) Like, You have just seen them. And so it it, to me, exposure is like an important step, but it is not the end all be all. It's like right. That seems like right.
2: Yeah, yeah, I hear what you're saying. And yes, while I agree, I think it's the processing of the exposure for sure. Um, And you can't have one without the other. Uh, So exposure is like the prerequisite to be able to process it. um, And exposure to the thing, uh, the way we process it is our default way is the way we've always processed everything because we create shortcuts in our brain. And It's we're going to think about things the way we've always done it. It is the joining of other parts of ourselves. So I love your example, Ben, Um, kind of how you said, be able, being able to create counsel within yourself, because even just on a brain level, one part of our brain has to talk to the other part in order to reprocess things. Um, So it's like it's micro counsel right here in our um, prefrontal cortex and our reptilian brain coming together. Um, but it's true. It's, it's exposure to the thing. It's the processing of the thing, but I would say, um, it's additionally the reprogramming of the processing of the thing that helps us heal. So it's three steps to me.
0: One of the things that's interesting about exposure to me is The my perception of exposure therapy is it's kind of like you've got to do it by yourself, right? Cora's got to go meet Zaheer by herself. You have to, but we get this really nice moment with Mako, which Mako does a lot of things wrong as we always know, but this is always a moment he does. This is a moment he does, right? He also has those good times. So let's celebrate both. Um, But uh, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. What do you need? Like those questions that he asks when she struggles going into the spirit world. Um, And so uh, community has actually been a really big theme of this season on, you know, uh, not intentionally, but it's come up in multiple episodes. And so it's when it comes to exposure therapy and exposure specifically, what role does community play in the support and the healing uh, of someone who maybe is navigating that
2: process? Yes, um, it's 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 crucial. Um, Usually it's joining with the therapist. Um, so there's that community uh, that partnership I'd say in the in the small um, in a small community but then it could be group therapy or it could be you know letting people in and being vulnerable with the piece people closest to you and letting them know what you're trying to conquer or overcome um, or getting support but I think that, The essence of exposure therapy is so you don't have to do it alone. You do it in community with your therapist. Um, You're walking and joining with that person in order to do it, whether it's that it's through virtual reality or through imaginal exposure in vivo, all of those things.
1: I also think a potential thing to think about is if we zoom out a little bit from from trauma and just think about exposure in our everyday lives and how community helps in that regard. I, I, I think what I'm thinking about is Opal, right? So Opal comes in and Cora is, you know, I think meditating at the beginning and Opal's super mad because her family is in Kuvira's hands and they're locked up and she wants to save them. And between her and Lynn, they're the only ones who feel like any urge to do anything about it. And Opal opens up to Quora. And there's a, a, anytime we share something that is on our heart, on our mind, that is a form of exposure. I am exposing what is inside to you. And then the person who is receiving that has a, a choice in that moment to, how are they going to make that continue to be safe for them to do? Or are they going to like minimize it? What is their response? And so I I think there's a form of exposure of like, I, in order for me to live and to share and to be, I need to be able to expose these different parts of me to, in order to feel like I can be safe and be me. And I think Opal does that, right? Opal is kind of showing us in the beginning what it looks like to share what's on our minds and hearts, right? And I think that that's another potential example of how community is important in that mind.
2: For sure.
0: Any other big moments of exposure that we want to lift up, or even small moments—the maybe those minor moments that we're lifting up—that maybe steps a little bit more into the everyday times of exposure.
1: So one thing that's going through my head that we haven't talked about yet is Genora. Um, Genora is uh, a, a prodigy in a way around being spiritually attuned. And so one of the things that she has the capacities to do is, you know, she can do astral projection where she shows up elsewhere. Right. And so she is like, hey, super helpful, very helpful. Turns <laughs> um, And so what that does is because Janora is like meditating and attuned to the spirit world all the time, she has a greater sense of awareness. And that greater sense of awareness gives leads to more exposure. And so if my awareness is narrow, I'm only going to be able to perceive what's within my awareness. But Genora is showing us that when our perception is wider, when our awareness is greater, we have a a greater sense of exposure. We are literally exposed to more things because we're paying attention. And so what I'm noticing in that is that there is a greater sense of vulnerability in the sense of like, you are more likely to get hurt because you are exposed. But also, there's a greater capacity for change making, and there's a greater strength in that amount of exposure. And so, part of me is interested in in that relationship, and I'm I'm, I'm curious, um, I'm curious about, I guess, connection as well, because it takes intentional connection for Cora to find that exposure. Like Cora uh, is not like Janora. Janora is like sensing everything. Something's up knows something's up with the spirit vines. But Cora's like, I don't know. Let me check with the spirit vine. And she has to put her hand and have a physical connection in order to find that connection. And so choosing to connect with the spirit vines gave her more information and increased her awareness, right? So my question, I guess, is, does connection enhance exposure and therefore give us more to work with, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, I really like um well let, let me go back. I think with genora, it's it's truly a gift and it it could also be a curse. So the more exposed nerves you have, the more opportunity for, for you to just take in and absorb so much um out there that you may not want to. So I I really love that Cora has the ability to turn it on and off. And she's she says, okay, well, I can connect. Let me touch this to connect with the spirit vines. And then she's able to. Um, and if I were given the choice, I would choose Cora's gift over Janora's because I would want to be able to turn it on and off and not have to absorb just the collective suffering. But then again, you could also be absorbing the collective joy if you have Janora's gift too. But that increased awareness certainly does anything.
0: It is interesting to also think about like the age difference between the two of them and like, how does that work in our lives of what is appropriate exposure to the realities of the world as it comes with like coming of age, which is a conversation I think that's happening across the country right now for good and for bad. And so like, how is that, how what, how, do we, how do we navigate that? How do we figure out what's appropriate at a given time and, and how does that shift and change for, for each of us?
2: Yeah, I think wisdom certainly informs that life experience and wisdom. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I, if you just think back to five or six years ago, how you might react to a certain event that occurred in your life tomorrow, um, it, it changes your perspective because we really do change and turn over and evolve as we age. So I think that's a great point, um, about the differences between Janora and Cora. Can I ask a question? Is Janora Tenzin's daughter.
0: Yes, there sure is. And at this okay. point she has been deemed a master. Um, so that is why she has the tattoos now because she has been deemed a master of airbending.
1: She's the only one of two in the world at this point.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Wait. So the arrow is a tattoo.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Wow. Okay. So that answered my question because in the original avatar, The boy has a tattoo and then I know Tenzin does. And so I thought with my limited knowledge that the avatar, that was a character of the, uh, a trait of the avatar to have that airbending master tattoo, but then Korra didn't have it. So I was confused. Okay.
1: No, that's a great question. I I think that uh, that is a trait of air airbending masters. Those tattoos are are given to people who have mastered the art of airbending, um, and so Ang, who is the main character of the first series, has mastered airbending, and he is the youngest person to have mastered airbending in history, known history, um, and received his tattoos at, uh,
0: 12, 11 or twelve, yeah, old. Um, wow.
2: And then they- what? What do? What do folks get if they are deemed the master of fire um, bending?
1: Yeah. So only air bending has has a tattoo associated with mastery. Yeah.
2: Oh, good. Because that would be painful if they like got branded or something, you know, like (laughs) fire. I I can see that being like (laughs) sizzled
0: yeah harmful exposure yikes that might be the only uh visual marker of mastery out of it any is. of the four nations actually yes, that yeah. i can think of
1: which i think is representative of culture not every culture has things like that so it's it's, it's a neat little little thing
0: yeah uh, all right any other big moments or do we want to jump to our break
2: i think it's time let's, let's do it let's
0: have a little musical interlude all right, we'll jump to a quick break and then we'll be back with our Twi-in-law devotion and gratitude. We'll be back in just a minute. Let's talk about what is pushing us away from this episode and what is pulling us in. What what are some things that you're really latched onto, and what are some things you're like, nah, eh, not for me. Twee and la, one of the coolest segments we do. I'm yeah. so glad we named it that. Other than other things that were <laughs> other things <laughs> other things that were tried out at certain times.
1: <laughs> so, Alyssa, what what's a moment that like really pulled you in?
2: Oh man. So I I spoke to this a little bit, but this idea went from feeling powerless to omnipotent and just a reframe in the spiritual world. That was so incredible to me because, I mean, there was really nothing but a shift in perspective that changed the trajectory of her confidence in herself and reconnection. So that definitely was my I was just sucked into the episode by that. Um <laughs> yeah. and, and yeah, how do you feel?
1: I, I really love that moment too, but I really like the way he phrased what he was like as he was walking Cora through that. Like he, don't be scared of what might have been. Hold on, you've gotten through this before. Right. And like what a cool, like, like that is so important. Like, and it's so interesting that this guy who previously tried to end her life <laughs> is now because of the change in situation is now helping her. Right. It's just really, really interesting that he's able to reframe it in that way. And it was done in a, like, I don't like that. You're so good at this.
0: <laughs> that's, that's my push. Exactly. Weirdly enough. Is that like, there's so many moments where I'm like, Zahir. here. Oh yeah. Dude, do was not be a murderer. <laughs> and like, and like this could, work. <laughs> this could have been a really productive. Like, like team member but you 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 wanted to kill people and you tried to and you did and so like i like i struggle with like how much i like zahir in this episode cuz i'm like <laughs> cuz i love that he's like i don't love fascists let's go after that and then there's moments where i'm like but like you, i'm so mad that they made him a murderer and a villain cuz i'm like i would have preferred kind of like this like dark anti-hero arc for him uh as opposed to uh, kind of this like no flat out villain yeah i struggle with that
1: so you gave us uh what pulled you in what and sunshine gave us what pushed us away so back to you Alyssa. what 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 pushed you away what was the moment that uh you were like icky or didn't like or anything along those
2: lines well can i just say hey going back to sunshine's point um really quick i yeah. when you're we talking about Zahir, you know and him kind of being this, this villain versus like the anti-hero. Um, one of the things that this this part reminded me of when he was talking about the poison, and he and Zahir reminded her that the poison was within her. It actually reminded me a lot of Harry Potter and the idea that Harry was a horror crux. Like he was living with and survived through um the the near death. And so he was a living horror. like in some ways Cora is also like a living testament and a resistance to the poison and that's the her survival kind of just does nothing but elevate her um in her like resiliency but um the push so yes Bolin really got the ick from his attempts to pull um was it who was it that he was trying to get forgiveness from Opal okay yeah, like a picnic is not going to change the fact that her her literal family is like captured. So uh, instead of a picnic should have been, here is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go rescue your family. But instead, Opal had to be like, this is what I'm doing. Are you coming? Kind of thing.
1: I so agree. <laughs> like I was just like, in, read the room, bud. Come on. Just like... Do anything other than what you just did, Especially, like and also the way he got her there. Right, she's already like sad and and struggling, and then it's like, hey, my legs are broken. Come have, come rescue me. <laughs> like he just did everything wrong when it came to this. Like it was just not okay.
0: Belen uh, and Mako are certainly brothers. Well, <laughs> I, I have to defend
1: Mako. Like we like Mako was. Not great. The first two seasons, but like, really, he's improved a lot. We've started saying a lot more positive things about Mako in the second half of this
0: series. There is a couple episodes ago, that little hissy fit that he throws because like Cora didn't write him while she was struggling with all her post-traumatic stress. And he's like, oh, Oh," and like, like, he's he's got his moments, but he's still got a lot of work to do. Don't we all? We we all do. Mako more than others.
1: Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to agree. Yeah. With, with your push, Alyssa, that that was certainly one that I was so upset with. It's like, Berlin, do better. Uh, so we've got your push and pull sunshine. We've got your push. What pulled you in sunshine?
0: No, I'm going to do another push and it's tourists coming into cities and not understanding (laughs) like cultural norms and things uh that's my second push is what we're doing we're doing a a law and a law today um or a twee and a twee however we word it I don't know it's a circle but um yeah I just people coming in and just doing silly things um it makes me think about like when people hike on like leave no trace trails and like try to build a bunch of stuff or like try to like I don't know it's strange to me but it's that annoys me. It's a pet peeve of mine. And so, yeah, that guy will running towards danger. It's, uh, I've, you've seen a lot of like, oh, here's wild animals at beaches. Let's go, let's go touch them. And you're just okay. like, that type of stuff drives me up the wall. So, that annoys me. Uh, what does pull me into this episode? Um, I, Cora, I think is, is the answer to that. I think that just a lot of moments of, I'm, Watching her from season one to now it's just like I'm always just super impressed with the character arc and growth. So and on so, her
1: side, on her side the whole time. Yeah, <laughs>
0: she's she's a gem. And so yeah. Uh, yeah, that's mine. I love it.
1: Yeah. Oh. All right. We, we jump it.
0: into devotion.
1: Devotion. Woohoo. The so, element it's air. Yeah. Um, it's probably been a while since we've like really talked about what this is, but essentially. Been a while. This is a moment uh, at the end of our episodes, after having this, this conversation, this discussion about the lens to now that we know better, maybe theoretically we're walking away with more information.
0: You'll do better.
1: Maybe we'll do better. And the way we're going to do that is by creating an intention and setting a commitment this week to act on what we've learned. And so the idea is during this moment, what we do is we set an intention that we want for the coming week. Uh, based off our discussion and based off of one of the four elements from the avatar cycle. And this time is air. And we are trying to kind of understand how we can do better through a commitment or through an act or a goal that um, helps us act on that. So sunshine, I'm going to, I'm going to go straight to you. What is a moment of that you want to work on what's a, an intention that you would want to set regarding exposure and air
0: earlier this episode we talked about uh the the fear hierarchy uh and kind of gradual steps into discomfort and uh fear and exposure to that uh, and that made me think of like how one practices like holding their breath as we also talked about avatar and they did a, like uh, the movie and they the last movie they filmed they did a lot of like underwater work and acting and so they had to like slowly start with like learning how to hold their breath for a minute at a time. And then they got to the point where they were holding their breath for like three minutes at a time to be able to shoot these scenes underwater and and that the latest avatar movie. So they just, again, all of that kind of came together and made me think of like the blue, the small breath. What? The blue people avatar.
1: Yes. Avatar, the way of water, (laughs) the way of water. Yeah.
0: Which was fine. But ultimately the skill of holding your breath for three minutes Very cool. Um, and so what are the things that I can do to slowly take small breath holding moments and go underwater? Uh, what are those small moments of discomfort? And so my goal is to do a couple things this week, maybe three things this week that are a little uncomfortable, um, but are little moments of holding my breath and stepping into that. And so my goal is to do those, um, those things, three things this week that make me uncomfortable, that make me scared.
1: It reminds me of summer camp, where we have like the the Mm -hmm. comfort zone, the challenge zone, and the uh, what's the third part? Like this is the not so good zone. Like I don't know. I'll remember challenge zone, the not good zone. Sure, (laughs) but like, how do we expand and grow our edge? And that's what I'm hearing from you is like I want to grow my edge, and the way to do that is I have to challenge myself, and the way to do that is through exposure to these these things that challenge me. I love that. That's super awesome. Alyssa, I'm I'm curious. What is what is a moment and in intention that you want to set this week regarding air and exposure?
2: Yes. So um one of the things you mentioned was that I'm a professor of social work. And this week I have a lot of virtual classes, which I'm not really used to. So a little bit out of my element so what I want to do um, for me it's hard to read zoom faces and not worry about engagement um, so I want to breathe in my perception of how much students might be enjoying the class and just breathe out self-compassion then perception breathe out self-compassion without judgment so I'm going to do that this week I love that I think
1: that's great. Oh. Oh.
2: So don't give me any dirty looks on Zoom this week, Ben.
1: Uh, no promises. Uh, so for my intentions, <laughs> uh, my goal is to, you know, I, I'm, I've am i been thinking about how when we, like, it's really nice outside recently. Uh, it's in where we are. So I guess it's been raining a lot, but it's been warmer weather, I should say. And, you know, there's this really interesting thing of like being inside and then getting the wave of air that hits your body when you step outside. And sometimes that air is like super humid and like a wolf. And I'm like, and then sometimes it's like it's in the morning. Sometimes it's like a crisp air hits your face and like, ooh, right.
0: And it's that Nicolas Cage meme when he comes off the plane in Con Air. I've seen it.
1: No, no. All right. Yeah. But,
0: but just me. Okay. <laughs>
1: sure, 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 sure. sure. Um, but yeah, the, I, I think what I'm noticing is often when I step outside, I am just like going, I got to get to class. I got to get to the bus on time. I got to do this. I'm not thinking about that. And I, I want to bring my attention to that. I want to be mindful of that initial wave over me and you know, be mindful of like, wow, that feels this and just really kind of articulate in their mind because, you know, we don't get the benefits if we don't pay attention. Exposure in and of itself is not something that changes us. It's how we process that exposure. And I think when we're mindful, um, there's a lot to be gained from it. And so I just want to pay attention as I, you know, mm-hmm. enter new spaces around what is the air quality literally when I when I step into new spaces. And I think that will... Increase my awareness and help me help me live and breathe better. I
2: love that. Oh, thank you. Beautiful. I
0: oh, we're gonna be great together. Look at this week. We're <laughs> doing so good. We're all oh, I be... knew so well. Oh all right. Like... Gratitude. Gratitude. Oh. Gratitude. Gratitude. Indeed. Indeed. What are, who are we thankful for? What's a character that we are thankful for this week?
1: I am immensely grateful for Izumi. Um, I had some like conflict about her response. Um, And, and, you know, it was one of those things where when she talks about the role of the Fire Nation over the past several hundred years, it's really complicated and it's really complex. But I have so much respect (laughs) for the fact that she's like, I'm not going to involve the Fire Nation in any more unprovoked wars. And I am happy to stand with you on defense but I will not start another conflict and considering the history of the fire nation that is just so important and I think it's so beautiful that she is taking a stand and I love that it's fire lord azumi and not another you know male fire lord and so because we the prior history has all been men that we again the known history of people who have led the fire nation have been men and azumi is the first and perhaps only uh, woman to to lead the Fire Nation, and so I'm just really grateful for Azumi. I think Azumi's a winner, and uh, I'm grateful for Azumi. Yeehaw,
0: Alyssa. What about you?
2: Um. Well, I love that you said that, Ben, because it kind of leads into what I was thinking, and I hope this is okay to say, but I'm really grateful for the creators of this show or the writers for making so many strong women in with with all of the, the children seeing this show and being able to see the examples of these strong and powerful and resilient women displayed in these like fearless characters um I'm thankful for that so that my son can grow up seeing this
1: I love it. I love it but remember exposure alone is not enough. we have to talk about it like so I can't wait to hear about all the conversations you have with your son about like look at that woman in power I love it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, he sees a woman in power every day with his every mother. No, I'm just
1: <laughs> Awesome. All right, Sunshine, how about you? Who are you grateful for? Uh,
0: there's so many characters. Opal is one that comes to mind. Uh, clearly, Cora. I'm going to send this one to, to Mako though. I, I love the support he provides in that moment. Uh, and it seems so small. And I think the questions around, like, what can I do to be supportive can feel so small and meaningless sometimes. But I think the overall impact is super huge, and so my, I'm just going to give some props to Mako today.
1: I really loved that the hug that they the three of them shared with Cora mm-hmm. Marco, and Bolin. I thought that moment was just like made me melt a little bit. Yeah, right? We
0: didn't talk about it, but there is that moment of like they both Cora and Boleyn talk about their shame. Yeah, and Mako's just there to be supportive, and I and I love that.
1: I agree. I, Mako is mm-hmm. my second mm-hmm. choice. I really, I'm here for it. I'm really grateful for that moment
0: well it has been a wonderful episode that brings us to our end uh, Alyssa thank you so much for being here and being a part of this and, and, and joining us today uh, for all the listeners uh, make yes. sure you're hitting us up on all the social medias the BMB underscore pod on Twitter Instagram uh, on uh, TikTok as well we're all over the place to so check us out there you can also check us out on Patreon for live Ooh. episodes that we do Uh, every month, and some bonus content here and there. Anything else we want to lift up before we sign off for today, y'all?
2: Thank you so much for having me, both of you, and for any listeners out there um, that were interested in what we talked about, consider the field of social work. It is amazing, and there are are lots of heroes and fearless leaders in our field, so join us
1: the real life of <laughs> The Last Airbender where you can be the hero
2: join us in- <laughs> I love
1: it awesome
0: well Alyssa, thank you again for being with us I'm Sunshine Mayfield and I'm Ben Pruitt and this has been Bending Not Breaking thank you for listening